I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Welcome to Clash of the Titles, the podcast that sees two films with something in common. Go head-to-head to see which one does it better on this episode. In the red corner, three friends. One crashed plane, a suitcase of money, a metaphor to do with henhousers, and Billy Bob Thornton's wig come together to give us 1998's A Simple Plan. Look at this! Those are $100 bills. What if we didn't turn it in? It's stealing. It's the American dream and a gym bag. He just wants to walk away from it. You work for the American dream, you don't steal it. While in the blue corner, three friends, one lovely apartment, a suitcase full of money, Christopher Eccleston going bonkers in a loft, and Keith Allen's PP come together to give us 1995's Shallow Grave. Open your door. It's us, your flatmates and companions, your newfound friends. I've never seen a dead body before. Can I show you something? It's a sick idea, Alex. It's sick. Well, go ahead then. Telephone the police. Tell them there's a suitcase full of money and you don't want it. So, what connects these two movies and which one does it better? Let's find out. It's Clash of the Titles. Release the Kraken. Hello, I'm Alex Zane. I'm Vicky Crompton. I'm Chris Tilly. And this week, the choices were A Simple Plan and Shallow Grave. They came from you, Vicky. Hell of a week. Yes, I love these films. I love the structure of these films, uh, the fact that it's fairly obvious how it's going to end. But as I've said many times, it's the journey, not the destination. So would you like to guess the connection? Yeah, I got one. Chris, have you got yes. one? Yes. Uh... Is it films that both start with a protagonist telling the story via voiceover? Correct, but not the actual answer. But you're not wrong. Okay, okay. Uh, films in which, and I've also just, because I was away last week, so I've done a little more work than I would normally do. Um, I've also come up with other possible movies that fit the connection that I believe is the connection. Okay. Films in which the pivotal scene takes place in the woods. <laughs> right. Other examples would include Into the Woods. Mm-hmm. Cabin in the Woods and 1998 TV movie The Tiger Woods Story. 
which also involves the woods. Anything for a joke, isn't no, it? Anything. <laughs> Literally, I will make that much effort for a really weak joke. I would have accepted. Put that back where you found it. Um, three's a murderous crowd, but the actual connection... Uh, no, I've got more. Oh, go on. Are <laughs> they films where dumb men do things, but it's really evil women who are controlling them? Um, <laughs> uh, I wish uh, I'd have known in advance I, that you were going to say I, that. D- oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> is it... Is it movies in which the only female lead gets her boobs out in both? Just Bridget Fonda get her boobs out. Yeah, she's wearing the prosthetic pregnant belly at the start. Oh, yeah, and you see, you see side boob? No, you, well, I mean, you see nipple. Do you? I don't know. I wasn't looking. Um, it's a film. It, it, does one take place in a cold and unforgiving wasteland and the other in Edinburgh? <laughs> <laughs> No, no, the I other way wrong. You got, I got the joke wrong. wrong. <laughs> Do it again. No, because I forgot where the other one takes place. Minnesota. Uh, I, 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 no, I don't want to do it again. Are they films that both owe massive debts to the Coen brothers? <laughs> yeah. Sorry, do yeah. yours, Alec, uh, Vicky, that I might have spoiled. The, the connection is nothing leads to poor decisions like a bag full of dirty cash, obviously. Dirty yes, cash. very good. Yeah. Yeah. So um, let's, let's do this. Um, Chris, I gave you Shallow Grave from 1994. Yes, you gave me Shallow Grave from 1994. Um, and I'm going to change my headphones because these ones aren't working. Okay, Thank great. You. Wow, this is new. Is this something... <laughs> oh, I mean, I know I was away a week, but it's all changed, huh? <laughs> this is all he did last week. Right. It was really distracting. And I have put some work in this time, Vicky. To your so, intro? To, yeah. Great, okay. <laughs> in that I've written one. Sure. Okay, here we go. Is it... When you, when you say you wrote it, is it from Wikipedia? <laughs> no, this one... This is all me. Um, Shallow Grave is the tale of two guys and a girl who spend way too much time together. One is cool and funny, one is tall and a bit dull, and one plays the other two off each other using her sexuality. I'm not saying it's exactly the same as Clash of the Titles, but much like the best episodes of this podcast, it ends with me laughing, Vicky crying, and Alex on a slab. (laughs) Um, I disagree. Do you really think if we divvied up those characters, I'd end up with Christopher Eccleston? You're Eccleston. And you get upset here. You're Eccleston. I'm McGregor in this film. No, one's tall. That's you. It's absolutely nothing to do with stature. It's about who they are. You're the chartered accountant in the room. I knew this would upset him. Oh, you're worried about what he thinks, having said what you just said about me. Is that not what you do? (laughs) Yeah, in fairness, you have more reason to be pissed off. Yeah. For a change. Yeah. I managed to offend both of you in two sentences. Hooray! Happy New Year. Right, so, uh, Shallow Grave. Uh, when did you guys first see this film? When it came out. True. And I thought it was amazing. Yeah, it's the first time I saw it. I haven't watched it. This is the first no. rewatch since 1996. Oh, nice. And Five. Did, Five, did... four, six. What was it? Four. Four, okay, yeah. Uh, and 1995. Uh, January the 6th, 1995. Shock oh, it! <laughs> Which makes it exactly 25 years old this week. Oh, well. Yeah. Oh, well done, me. <laughs> <laughs> That's the connection. <laughs> uh, so a bit of background on this one. Um, it was kind of debuts for a lot of people. John Hodge, the writer, was a doctor. This was his first script. Um, Danny Boyle was a TV director who was desperate to do this, and he had to kind of audition to get the gig uh directing it, as did a few of the actors. They got financing for this film because of Kerry Fox. She was the one that Film 4 deemed bankable 
out of the three stars because she'd done a Jane Campion film, Angel at My Table, which had done well. And they believed they could sell it as an art house movie off the back of her name. And so Christopher Eccleston and Ewan McGregor, the other two stars, they had to screen test to get their, their roles in oh, is that film. right? Yeah. I didn't notice she got top billing at yeah. the start, which obviously now when you think about it, you go, oh, wow, oh, wow, yeah. But yeah. it is, it's Ewan McGregor's, is it his second ever film? I think he'd had a bit part in a Robin Williams movie right. that I'd never seen before this, but yeah. So it, so, it, so it launched a lot of careers. John Hodge wrote it. Um, it was kind of his, uh, he was trying to reflect the greed and selfishness of, of Thatcher's uh, 1980s. That was the idea of it. And so obviously you've got the, the bag of money in, in, in the, at the beginning that sort of um, brings out everyone's true personalities as the film goes on. But um, what else to say? It cost a million pounds. That was 150 grand from Glasgow Film Fund and 850 grand from Film 4. And they shot it in 30 days. That is quite impressive, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it looks great. It's a real, like, it's a calling card for Danny Boyle. I mean, he definitely goes, I am going to make the most of this. That's not Danny Boyle's voice. Uh, but yeah, he's not great. far off, though, is he? He's got he's, a little mank sort of. He's Sheffield, isn't he? He's Manchester. From, no, he's not. He's from Sheffield. Really? Yes. Chris, will you look that up in a minute? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm back. <laughs> but yeah, he's definitely, definitely from Sheffield. You're, you're not always right. I uh, just... But I, I, I'm not always right. But in this instance, Danny Boyle is from Sheffield. Danny, um, text me. So, uh, while we're waiting for that text to come through, <laughs> we, we are live. Fede! <laughs> uh, let's get into the plot a little bit then. It kicks off with a voiceover from Christopher Eccleston saying, uh, if you can't trust your friends, what then? This could have been any city. And then we're straight through the streets of Edinburgh, even though it was mostly shot in Glasgow, mm-hmm. uh, with left field playing, which I think is such an amazing way to open your movie. It's great. It's like being smashed in the face and it's great. grabs how, your attention. How did they do that? I was interested to know. Was it on a remote control car or was it on the front of a little motorbike? That I don't know. I thought you'd know. I'm sorry. I feel like I sometimes put too much pressure on you I to know to, geeky I listen, facts. No, now. I listened to the, direct, the commentary, which was just Danny Boyle on his own. He talked about the camera that he used, this mm. kind of fisheye lens. Was it is, in his Sheffield accent? <laughs> <laughs> Go on, do that. <laughs> All right, uh, pet. <laughs> no, it's, and it's weird because I'm from You're the from north. Fucking Leeds. <laughs> She's next door. <laughs> but we're introduced to the three characters uh, who share a flat via them um, interviewing people to be a potential fourth housemate, which is a fantastic way to introduce your characters. I wrote that down. I was like, this is such a fucking brilliant intro because inside of a minute, you get exactly who these people are. They are wankers. Mm. Yeah, they're horrible. <laughs> they're they're, they're really are arseholes, aren't they? Which, yeah. which is an interesting way to set up your movie in terms of the three uh, protagonists slash antagonists. You don't like them. Nope. Um, I don't like them because they play squash. I've never, yeah! I've, it's a real, real turn-off as a, as a character for me. If they play squash, I'm like, not into nah, you. No, no thanks. I don't know whether that's good. I mean, if you play squash, I'm not judging you. I've just had bad experiences with squash players. You've got your ass kicked. <laughs> I've never played it. I've never played it. It's just a quite a loud game. You know when you go to the swimming baths as a youth <laughs> and like people are playing squash? It's so loud. It's bang, bang. It's like, play something like badminton. <laughs> Much nicer. Alex is so sporty. <laughs> um, so the three characters are Alex, played by Ewan McGregor, who's a journalist. He's kind of the alpha male of the group. He's cocky. He's funny. He's... Kind of sexy, or he thinks he's sexy, he doesn't he? He is, which is not the same so thing. So once again, I'm... Oh, wait, I was about to say something. Applies <laughs> 100%. Uh, you've got David, played by Chris Reckleston, who's an accountant. He's he's serious, he's straight-laced. They make a point of saying he's he's part of a psychotherapy group. 
Yeah. Which I thought was interesting. I feel like they were just sort of sowing seeds for... That he's going to lose his shit. Lose his shit. And then you've got uh, Juliet, played by Kerry Fox, who's a doctor, who I I don't... She's very fucking squeamish for a doctor. (laughs) That's all I can say. (laughs) And I felt like we didn't get as much of a sense of her personality as the other two. No, it's done through cardigans, which is lazy. (laughs) But fine. What were the cardigans telling you? Uh, she's comfy with herself. She likes to relax. She frequently has a hangover. Um, I thought, yeah. I mean, not to go back to the um, the breasts scene, but mm-hmm. I think that really establishes her as someone who's like, I really don't give a fuck what you think about me and I don't care about your opinion and I'm happy to open the door and expose myself to you, which clearly you've not seen before because you won't give me what I want. Yes. When he's holding the letter. Yes. And reading the letter. Yeah, I mean, I feel that's true. All of those things are true. I just thought, oh, isn't it a shame that she's had to get her tits out, but no one else has had to get their bits out by this uh, point. Um, we're going to pull you up there a little yeah. bit, Vicky. I oh, knew this yeah. was coming yet again. Yeah. But sequentially. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, yeah. I, I'm actually ju- I was actually just getting to that bit. So the, the person they pick as their flatmate is uh, Hugo, played by Keith Allen. Who is so good in this? He's really good. I can't believe I've watched a Keith Allen performance that I didn't hate. I know. <laughs> it's mind-boggling. But it's like, what happened. He's, so, he's really good. He's so sexy in it as well. Yeah, you yeah. don't think, when you think Keith Allen, you think like, no, 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 Vindaloo. You don't yeah. think, there's a sexy man who yeah, I'd like subtle, to spend some time charming. with. Did you think he was sexy when you saw his pee-pee? So I literally, when I tried to remember this movie... That is the only image I could definitely... Well, there's another one later on, but that's the one that stuck in my mind. And I was watching it this time, and I will say watching it as an adult, yes, as an adult, you see things that I didn't pick up on as a kid. Like I couldn't remember how he died. I just remember seeing his naked corpse on the bed. And I saw it this time, obviously, and Hugh McGregor finds the heroin. Mm -hmm. But I don't think as a kid I put those two together because he never. no one ever says... He died of a drug overdose. Yeah. They just sort of, Ewan McGregor something like, it's not every day you find a story in your own flat. It wasn't bad, was it? It's all right. <laughs> um, on the commentary, Danny Ball said that Keith was delighted to get his kit off. That's a shame. And normally you'd have a closed set for those kind of days. He invited everyone to come on set that day. <laughs> Open the curtains, get the catering. <laughs> and in hindsight, it's funny that there's a Ewan McGregor film and a bloke gets his penis out and it's not him because for about 10 years... A lot of films, he would get his, his winky out. Really? Yeah, yeah. I don't think of you, McGregor, as that. I've got two. I've, Viggo Mortensen always gets his ass out. Like, there was a series of films where Viggo Mortensen's buttocks would be on screen. Kevin Bacon, his willy. He loves showing his bacon. A lot of movies. <laughs> I remember watching Wild Things, and, you know, for all the scenes that I thought I'd remember out of that, it's Kevin Bacon unnecessarily doing a full, fun, full frontal in the shower. That's yeah. what I remember. That feels like a future Clash of the Titles Oh, great. Film, doesn't it? I wonder what the connection could be. Is it Knickers? And I'll leave it with you. (laughs) What? (laughs) (laughs) Don't worry. (laughs) Don't worry. Maybe we'll talk about something else. Don't worry. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Knickers. Yeah. So, uh, as you say, they find uh, Keith Allen dead and there is a bag full of money. I don't think we ever find out how much it is, but I believe it's supposed to be about a million. Is that not on purpose? Because it's just, you know, any amount of money sends people... Um, off the rails and then I mean that's the setup for the film what would you do I thought the sorry the I thought it was a million I thought it with the whole Chris Tarrant game show on the TV oh okay it's time to lose a million which I started reading about which sounds like a great show that someone should bring back I thought that was alluding to I the fact it was a million Danny Ball calls it a million on the commentary but I think you're right they don't explicitly state what the amount is but it's a, it's I mean you can see the bag it's that amount that 
wouldn't even in 1995, it wouldn't last that long no. between three of them once it's divided up. So what happens is almost slightly ridiculous. Yes. But yeah, what would you do? What do they do? They decide to keep the money, hack up the body, bury it, yeah. and, and then try and keep it a secret. The one person that is a doctor decides that she is not going to dismember a body mm. for some reason and makes the shy accountant do it. Yeah. yeah, as Alex says, Juliet, you're a doctor. You kill people every day. Yeah. And she's got a says, funny line. I just don't want to do it, which and is also, fair enough. The guy who says, I'd happily do it, doesn't do it. I mean, <laughs> genuinely, none of what happens would happen no. if either of the others had stepped up, is what I thought. But then they'd all have been killed when young Peter Mullen turns up at the apartment. Oh, because they wouldn't have hidden. Because Christopher Eccleston wouldn't have been a psychopath with a hammer in the loft yeah. and oh. able to kill them. So that's actually, really good, yeah. they'd all be dead. Yeah, yeah. that's Let, a good point. Uh, I've, let's use the actor names. I was using the character names, but I think it'll get confusing. Yeah. Okay. Um, but as you say, Eccleston, is he draws the short straw literally. Mm-hmm. He's hacks up the body. As you say, it kind of changes him. He becomes paranoid. He becomes introverted. And then he seems to have sort of bordering on a breakdown, mm. um, moves up to the loft yep. where he's got the money and... Which is, which is why he's you. I'm sorry, but I'm you and McGregor <laughs> and you're I don't like heights. I don't like heights. I know, so. but I just sort of saw him with his little bed up there and I just sort of imagined you there in that bed with a bottle of brandy in the Alan Partridge podcast. <laughs> and I was like, that's you. He's really upset that I said it was him, isn't he? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Nice to be back. Uh, and and that's it in terms of plot. It's about the. It's really about the relationship between these three people and how it breaks down. And I love the way your sympathy and your empathy is constantly. If you had any to begin with, with any of these people, but it's constantly shifting throughout the movie in terms of um, whose side you're on. Yeah. So they try to uh, Kerry Fox and Ewan McGregor sort of try to trick Christopher Eccleston down from the loft at some point mm. to steal his money mm. uh, but Kerry Fox does that with her vagina presumably because then she sleeps with him another scene I didn't remember no I'd forgotten about that yeah. um, but Ewan McGregor doesn't he's just then he's a bit stuck in the middle and I suppose that's a good setup for the way it ends because you think he's going to be the person that gets sort of dicked over but that's not how it ends and how does it end yes how does it end Vicky it ends with Christopher Eccleston sort of nailing Ewan McGregor to the floor with a clear shot at his heart and a knife but somehow misses and stabs him through the shoulder mm. is that right yeah, but he was about to then stab him through the heart. It was only when Kerry oh, Fox... Oh, yeah, Kerry Fox then puts a bread knife through his neck. Yeah. Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah, yeah. So he dies It's not horribly. a bread knife. Bread knife's uh, mm-hmm. a serrated. It's a very clean blade. Okay, I, I don't remember that bit. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Christopher Eccleston promptly dies. She apologises to Ewan McGregor for not taking him off the floor, but driving him deeper into the floor. Mm-hmm. Twist, twist, twist. Gross, gross, gross. She runs off with the money. She gets to the airport. It's not the money. It's all chopped up newspapers. Ha, ha, ha. Ewan McGregor's not even dead and he's buried the money under the floorboards. Which which ties back to a scene at the start of the film when Ewan McGregor says, don't know why we don't just stuff it in a mattress or under the floorboards like any other human being. <laughs> now, he literally said what he was going to do. My question is, when you first watched it, did you think he was alive or dead at the end? I thought he was dead. I have had this conversation with a lot of people. I wanted to believe he was alive. But I thought he was dead as well. And I liked the ambiguity. Mm. But Danny Boyle, apparently, Chris? Yes, uh, I thought he was dead as well. Mm. Uh, Danny Boyle said he definitely wasn't dead. Yep. Uh, he said, um, obviously, so he's lying there with the knife through him and every, it sort of jumps forward in time and the police are there and people are walking around kind of ignoring him and not helping him, which is, I think, why we all think he's dead. Yeah. And that's, he said that's why they added the line of him saying, hello, inspector. 
But because Chris Reckleston has been doing voiceover from Beyond the Grave mm. for the whole movie, yeah. why would you think he's not talking yeah. from Beyond the Grave? And here's the thing. I When I read that, and I only read that researching this show, I don't like that. I like the ambiguity. I really enjoyed the discussion about yeah. not knowing if he was dead or not and being able to imprint your own feelings on that. Like, I wanted him to be alive because... He's a dick, sure, but he's a funny dick. Mm -hmm. So and, I wanted and, him to be alive. And something else that Boyle says that sort of, again, I didn't pick up on when I'm watching the film, but adds to him not, not being dead, is that you'll notice that Juliet, um, Carrie Fox, when she, before she hammers the knife further in, she sort of moves it. And I thought that was her torturing him. Yeah. But that's her making sure it's not touching or hitting any vital oh, organs. Like a doctor. So she doesn't want him to pull it out and get away, but she wants him to stay there. So she makes sure she's not going to kill him by pushing in further and then hammers it home. But again, I didn't get that. So okay. I, if none of us got either of those things, then it's, it's bad filmmaking. She's basically performing the sort of move that you could one day apologise for, I think. So maybe a reconciliation <laughs> for those two is on the card. It's like, look, I didn't kill you and I could have done. For so. the record, no. <laughs> Absolutely not. Oh. No apology right. would allow that. that. No, better. you can't. Oh, right. just, okay. no. just, I, it's just I, I, hypothetically. Yeah, being hypothetical, but no, you can't say sorry. Right. Okay. Just I. I don't know. I, that's just the way I was raised. Right. Okay. Well, it's different. So, given different um, in Sheffield, given everything that you've seen, what would you say in this film is the best scene for you, Chris? Uh, I love that opening with left field because that was a real sort of jolt. In 1995, like it felt like a new dawn for the British film industry mm. with that music and that sort of adrenaline. But I'm going to go for that final shot, even though I didn't quite understand it. It's just such a shock when she hammers that home and the Andy Williams happy heart starts playing. Uh, I think it's fantastic. And Boyle says that he used that joyous song for this really horrible scene. It was Blue Velvet that inspired him to do that, mm. David Lynch. And I just think it works and it leaves you. It had me walking out of the cinema quite euphoric, yeah. that finale. So I'm going to go for the ending. What about you? I've got a few, as usual. I couldn't really decide. I'm going to go with one in the end. But my, I, I like the fact that Ewan McGregor drinks Iron Brew on his hangover because it is a godsend. I can't touch it anymore. What happened? Uh, uh, Wicked. Um, Wicked. Do you remember Wicked? Yeah. So I've, like nowadays... Isn't it just called WKD? <clears throat> yeah. Or I don't know. It doesn't matter. I don't think it was ever... Meant to be wicked. I think it was WKD. But I know what you're talking about anyway. Let's, let's, if no. you know what I'm talking about, it doesn't matter, does right, it? Okay, so, sure, 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 so, sure. Sheffield. <laughs> so it used to... Now you drink the blue one. But back in the day, it was Iron Brew flavoured. And I thought that was fantastic. And I drank a lot of that. <laughs> and then one day, I drank too much of it. And I went back to my friend's house. And I um, was trying to... Uh, her dad and her dad's friend were in and like having a drink and whatever. And we sat down and we pretended not to be hammered because we were, we were I'm going to say 16 but obviously 15 uh -huh. and I got up to leave the room and I stumbled and I fell over Lucy's dad's friend's head and I enveloped his whole head in my stomach and then I started laughing and I couldn't move and so I had this poor man's he was a really skinny man poor man's head just how on. long was he there for? Really, for a week I mean really honestly it sounds like he might be in the wrong here <laughs> Do you think oh, he like God. scooted back across the room? She's not moving. I'm not moving. <laughs> Took two hours to get the smile off his face. <laughs> so yeah. wait. So and then that's... I ran upstairs and then I vomited black <laughs> for about an hour. So and I is... haven't been able to touch it since then. This is when you were 16 years old and when you. So now that you're an adult, I can't even look at Iron Brew. You drink the Blue Wicked. <laughs> That's the thing. It just leads me to make better choices. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, I do. You've grown up. <laughs> I would take a blue wicked off you right now. <laughs> uh, 
So I, I like that scene with the iron brew. I also, <laughs> I do, I, I do, I learned a lot about what I can handle in terms of gore because I've never been that bothered about gore in movies. And when Christopher Eccleston is sawing the limbs off mm-hmm. and the sound, even though you don't see it, I'm de- totally cool with that. I'm like eating my popcorn, ba, 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 cool, sawing limbs off. The minute he takes the hammer to the, the teeth, teeth yeah. I was like, <sighs> it, yeah. I, it was like American History X opening all over again with the yeah. teeth on the curb. Yeah. I was like, this is too much. Too so much. that is my line. I cannot see teeth smashed out or visually imagine teeth being smashed out. No. Uh, but my favourite uh, scene is probably, uh, I'm going to go with what Chris said. I think the ending, uh, just you McGregor looking up on the kitchen floor with a pool of blood and the money under the floorboards and the whole ambiguity mm. that existed prior to this show. Prior to um, you finding out what it was supposed to be. <laughs> yeah, <right? laughs> yeah. So uh, I love that. I like it when, when Christopher Eccleston has dispatched the bad guys in the loft. All, that whole scene where it's like dark and then it's like, you know, like the Colonel Kurtz, like the flash mm. and then bang, they're gone. But then he just, lobs the bodies down the loft steps and they just go like dum 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 and it's really shocking like the way that mm. they just go bang and land on the floor that's the best bit okay second best bit <laughs> sure oh now it's like, now he's back you've become very competitive actually because it wasn't like this last week I bet it wasn't it but wasn't. it was all friendly last was. week wasn't it yeah 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 that's changed yeah it that's has changed fast that's a shame yep. never mind mm. um, now it's a competition again great <laughs> um so, uh, who's your most valuable character, Chris? Um, well, I'm going to first give a shout out to the production designer, uh, Cave Quinn, for that flat. They spent the bulk of their budget on that incredible flat, and it's an amazing set for the film. And that is in Glasgow, that flat? Yes. Right. Okay. Uh, no, it was on a soundstage they built, but in Glasgow. Okay. Yeah, okay. they built it on a soundstage. Uh, but I'm just going to sort of think, thinking back to that time, it was so exciting when Pulp Fiction and Reservoir Dogs came out in America. And in England, looking at the biggest films of each year just prior to this, it was Nuns on the Run, Hear My Song, Four Weddings and a Funeral. And it was a bit depressing, really. All, all good films, but... Well, two good films. Hmm. But um, it was just... Danny Boyle arriving on the scene was such an exciting moment for the British film industry. It was like, we might have our own Tarantino. We might have someone who can do this kind of thing. Mm. And so it's Danny Boyle. It sort of, it, it kind of heralded a new age for the British film industry. It didn't really last, but I just, the excitement of, of his directing and who, what he represented was, meant a lot to me. I think New York Magazine actually went with the, the tagline on the US theatrical release poster, even though it didn't do much business in the US, was Pulp Fiction fans, have I got a movie for you from New York Magazine. So they really went wow. with the Tarantino vibe. A film that's not quite as good as Pulp Fiction. No. <laughs> but you should see. <laughs> uh, what about you, Alex? Um, all right, best character, most valuable character. Uh, so I was going to go with Ewan McGregor because I just think he's so good in this and it's uh, he's got more beautiful as he's got older, I will say that though. Um, and he has an interesting dress sense. Uh, how did you feel about black shoes and white socks? You know how I feel about it. Why are you even asking me? Okay, good. Uh, I just wondered whether it changed. Nope. nope. By the way, for long-time listeners, uh, Vicky did get me white socks for Christmas. <laughs> so. Have you got them on? <laughs> <laughs> Nearly. Nearly. They're lightish. They've got specks of blue in um, I'm not going for you, McGregor, even though my favourite line in the movie is, Hugo's going off. He smells. The flat smells. I just like the idea of a body going off. But my favourite character is Hugo himself. I just I was so startled by Keith Allen's performance in this. And um, not just, you know, the fact that I remember his naked body and the sort of positioning of the body as well. It was somehow tragic, but poetic in its tragedy. I, I just thought he was great. I, I loved him. I wanted to hang out with him. Uh, my most valuable character, I need to give a shout out to Christopher Eccleston's glasses. Um, they're classic, but they're fun. They're serious, but they're whimsical. And I was jealous of those glasses. 
uh, for the whole 90-minute runtime. So my most valuable character, Chris, is uh, Christopher Eccleston's glasses. Before you look at me like that, I'm allowed to pick what I like. So I have. And you know where they came from? Specsavers. No, uh, they were inspired by David Cronenberg's glasses. Really? Yeah, Danny Ball said, I want big David Cronenberg See, glasses. See, this is when it works, isn't it? <laughs> I say something that I think is going to piss you off. You've got a good bit of trivia. Yeah. Everyone's happy. The people listening presume they're happy with that. Great. Still should have a person. Yeah, <laughs> uh, you really should. Um, <laughs> is it that, does Christopher Eccleston really decide to actually go ahead and keep the money because of how boring his workmates are at the chartered accountancy firm? I think it's firm. because his chartered accountancy firm somehow, for some reason, won't pay for a computer. And he <laughs> has to, but you not know, I'm sure he's done on purpose, but he's like a Dickensian scribe. Like He's got a little desk... A green, what those nice lamps are called, and he's using a pen and ledgers and papers. It's like, and then you cut to you and McGregor. I was like, oh, maybe computers hadn't been invented. And then you and McGregor has got a laptop and whatever else. It's like that's not fair. But all the whole chart accountant scene plays like something from a Dickens movie. The bit yeah. where his boss goes, "Maybe we're a wee bit boring, but by God, we get the job yeah. done." So I assume it's done on purpose. Uh, and is there anything that you would change, Chris? Yes, very quickly. Uh, the confusion over the ending. Uh, I'd, I'd, you know, I'd make it. I'd make it the ambiguity that that we all agreed we preferred, and, and make it clear. I agree. I think that's a great suggestion. I personally would change the bit in the fight scene that is almost laughable and doesn't actually work. Uh, and I wish they'd taken it out because you got a choreographer fight scene. You got a budget. You can't be that big, but. The bit where he slams his head in the fridge door. Oh, yeah. It's like something from a Looney Tunes yeah, cartoon. It it's ridiculous. Yeah. And it's he's not doing it with enough power because he's obviously not, you know, he could literally smash his head in with a fridge door. So he's sort of gently closing, closing it on the him. Door. He's like, swish. <laughs> there is swish. a bit where Kerry Fox kicks swish. one of them in the bum quite softly, though, which I like because it's quite realistic if you're just running around a kitchen <laughs> trying to hit each other. It just gives him a kick in the bum. <laughs> Well, I would. This is a bit controversial, um, but I feel like between the three of them, you need an ordinary-ish person as your way in. So, have you um, have you read the Secret History? You know the Donna Tart book. So, so, sort of similar in some ways theme where you've got a group of very privileged people and it all ends in murder. But the way through that group of people is from someone that's like a, a normal in quote marks person. And Christopher Eccleston would be your normal person in this, apart from the fact that in the opening scene, he's horrible to the prospective flatmates as well. So he's as much of a dick as they are. So then you've got three people who are just like, oh, you know, I don't really give a shit about what happens to mm. you because you're all awful. I don't think everyone in a film has to be likable. It's much better when they're not. But just some ordinary person somewhere like Cameron, the person that they take the piss out of, he's your kind of ordinary guy. And maybe there's not enough of that for me. I, by the um... end of it, what? Cameron like can't take a joke to the point that he like ambushes you and McGregor in the toilet but, you know, and kicks was... the shit out it was of him. Great. That no. was very satisfying. Yeah, it was. I never resort to violence, so Cameron is not normal. Oh, Alex doesn't fine. resort to violence. Hugh McGregor's character, also called Alex, so obviously I'm him. By the way, uh, he's like just a dick, but he's a funny dick. I think he's the nice guy. I like him. Okay, uh, we'll just have to agree to disagree. Um, and did you learn anything from watching this film, Chris? I learned that John Hodge is in the film, which I didn't know. Didn't know that. He is the copper that isn't Ken Stott. Really? Yeah. He's good. Yeah. <laughs> Those police are great. When they turn up, because I think the moment they turn up in this movie is the moment where the plot starts to get a bit ridiculous. And I think what's amazing, at the point where you're sort of going, oh, this is going over the top, 
is you introduce two over-the-top eccentric characters who are like ridiculous chaff and divert your concentration away from the ridiculous plot onto them. Well, I'll direct you to exactly what um, Danny Boyle said. He said, an hour in, we needed another ingredient. This film did. And that's when we introduced the existential police officers. Yeah, they are very, very good. (laughs) Really good. Uh, And also, um, there's some... uh, Debate as to whether Keith Allen is playing the same character here as he plays in Train Spotting, because Train Spotting takes place before Shallow Grave, uh-huh. yeah, and he's a drug oh, yeah. person in both of them, yeah, which I think would be a fun connection between the two of them, yeah. That's all. I don't know if that's true or not, but mm. it is a rumor out there. I didn't learn a lot. I have a question: Was Kerry Fox planning on carrying a suitcase full of a million pounds onto <laughs> a plane, or putting it? They scan suitcases. Yeah. It was a different time different back times. then, though. It's a different time, mate. Oh yeah, you could do yeah, you could do whatever you want back in the nineties. If you couldn't do what you wanted through airport security, every single rom com in the nineties would have to have a different ending. True. So, and that's a huge job of work. So yeah. I assume. They'd all, they'd all end with someone being shot in an airport. <laughs> they they tried to run through, through security and go, wait, bang. <laughs> she, would have, she would have flashed her boobs and wouldn't let her through. That's that how she operates. Yeah, That's that how she operates. Happened. I didn't learn anything apart from... That's um, how she operates. <laughs> that is a weird thing to say, actually. And it says a lot. <laughs> uh, I, I'm going to swap I, I know how she operates. <laughs> it involves showing her boobs at <laughs> useful at times. <laughs> All I learnt was uh, housing in certain parts of Edinburgh in the mid-90s was lush. And that's it. Even though it's a soundstage, but I'm sure it's meant to look like an actual flat. Yeah, I think even then people were questioning whether those three people could afford that. Certainly the journalists couldn't afford that. Yeah, because that's really confusing. Because he says to Keith Allen, can you afford it here? And then you think, oh, so you're all quite well, not well off, but you're not stuck for money. So, yeah, whatever. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. 
Um, okay, so that's the shallow grave. So we're going to move on to uh, 1998's A Simple Plan, and that is with you, Alex. Shall I do my intro then? Please. Just making sure nothing's changed too much. <laughs> it's been a week. This week I was given a simple plan which teaches a valuable life lesson about why you should never follow a fox into the woods looking for revenge because you claim it caused you to crash your truck. Forgetting the obvious notion that there was... If, <laughs> this is so long. You know when you... <laughs> I was bored. I was like, I'm really going to go to town on this intro and I'm already bored of my own intro, but I'm here now. You've just made it a lot longer by doing that <laughs> yeah, as well. Sorry. So it's why you should never follow a fox into the wood looking for revenge because you claim it caused you to crash your truck. Forgetting the obvious notion that were the case to come to trial, your legal team would at some point have to call a fox to the stand, which is a difficult look to pull off. You and your two redneck mates might also stumble across a plane with over four million dollars inside and set off a chain of events that involves deceit, murder and being attacked by a crow. <laughs> a stunt crow, no less, that it turns out is listed in the credits as being called Gregory Peck. <laughs> is that true? No! Oh, no! <laughs> That's very funny. <laughs> that, is, that is funny. Uh, we got there in the end. <laughs> We got there in the end. I'm now imagining um, Basil Brush on the witness stand. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been a nice coda for this movie. Uh, right. Um, first of all, uh, two great taglines. Well, one rubbish tagline for this movie and one brilliant tagline, which I think we'll all appreciate. The rubbish tagline uh, was, sometimes good people do evil things. Nah. The great tagline is, $4 million and plenty of change. <laughs> Isn't it? It's Is great. It? Yes. No. I didn't see that one. I Do you took... get it? Yeah, I don't know. I don't like it. Because their lives are changing and also... So much. Yeah. Mm. You, I don't think you get it. Uh, all right, then, let's do a bit of background on this movie. So it was the debut novel of a young writer called Scott Smith, who was 31 when he wrote it. Uh, he sold the rights for $250,000, with another $750,000 going to him if the movie got made. So the rights were bought by Mike Nichols of The Graduate and Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf fame and director of the worst werewolf movie ever, Wolf. <laughs> Yes, Wolf is worse than Teen Wolf 2, a movie that's tagline signifies how little time was spent on the script. He's off to college for a howling good time. Are, Just, we, not, are we talking about this? <laughs> not, not a sentence that anyone has ever said. No. Yeah, I mean, I've never had, have you ever gone? I'm going to have a howling good time tonight. Anyway, uh, back to a simple plan. Uh, so uh, the rights were sold in 1993, and then you get your classic development hell scenario. Various people are going to direct this. Uh, Rounders director John Dahl, uh, John Borman, uh, which I think would have been interesting. Uh, ben Stiller was uh, the big one in contention to direct it. Uh, and he did a lot of work with Scott Smith on the script. Now, Vicky, as a writer, how do you feel about the first draft that Smith <laughs> handed in for this script being 256 <laughs> pages long, the equivalent of a four and a half hour film? He didn't just write that and go, I'll probably chop that down before I give it to anyone. He handed that he handed in, in as his script. I think what that means is he's got outstanding representation that he didn't get his ass fired promptly. They're like, look, we know you wrote the book and you've had your contractually what like one pass. Yep. Now get the fuck out of here. Can someone please get me a screenwriter to sort this out? Four and a half hours. Four 
and a half hours. Yeah, um, he actually says it was Ben Stiller uh, who really helped him uh, become a writer. And even though Ben Stiller is not credited on the script, uh, Scott Smith says of him, uh, I was shortchanging the visual in my script, concentrating on dialogue, which I imagine is a very common first-time screenwriter's mistake. <laughs> and so suddenly, just do it visually uh, opened up everything for me. I Funny wonder, that, isn't it? When yeah. You, yeah, it's the visual medium. <laughs> Weird. <laughs> I wonder whether when it got nominated for Best Adapted Screenplay, Stiller was like, fuck, I should have stuck around. Yeah. I should have actually claimed my credit on that script. Because he, by all accounts, he chopped it down. It's a, a really lot. generous thing to do. There is nothing more frustrating than working with first-time screenwriters. Like, but 256 pages seems about right. <laughs> Uh, yeah, he didn't win uh, the Oscar for it, didn't um, Scott Smith? Uh, it, that, uh, it went to uh, Bill Condom for Gods and Monsters, which I haven't seen. Have you seen Gods and Monsters? Yeah, very good. Is about, it? About James Whale, the guy that made Bride of Frankenstein. Yes. It's really good. Okay, I've not seen it. I've seen his other work, uh, Dream Girls, the live-action yep. Beauty and the Beast, and Candyman 2, Farewell to the Flesh. So uh, I do know Bill Condom's work. Now... Um, that's really uh, pretty much the backstory on it. Uh, Nicolas Cage was going to play a part in it at one point, which would have been quite exciting. He was, uh, it was leaving Las Vegas era Nicolas Cage, which would have been good. Um, in the end, uh, Bill Paxton, Billy Bob Thornton and Brent Briscoe uh, take the leads with Bridget Fonda uh, playing Fonda playing. Sarah, so that's sort of the backstory to how it eventually uh, got made. Uh, oh, sorry, no, that's not, because Sam Raimi fucking directed it. I was hoping he'd come up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so in the end, John Borman was all set to direct it, scheduling conflicts, he was he left, and at the 11th hour, Paramount asked Sam Raimi to do it, and he said yes, uh, because he wanted to do a movie that was more character-driven and not all about his trademark visual style. So he came in and had to use all the sets that had been scouted for John Borman, uh, but probably makes the most un-Sam Raimi, Sam Raimi film of his career. But well, it's it was, brilliant. It was a weird time in his career, though, because obviously he'd, he'd kicked off with the, the amazing horror comedies, the Evil Deads, and then before this he did the Western Quick and the Dead, and then after this... Great. It's good, yeah, really good. And after this, he did the sports movie, baseball movie, for the love of the game, which isn't so great. And it felt like I think he was just trying to figure out what his identity was as a director. Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean, in terms of pulling back the bells and whistles that the Evil Dead movies have, and just having something very subtle and understated, mm. I mean, he nails it. Mm, I love this film so much. It's in my top ten for sure. Spoiler alert for the verdict. <laughs> How many more times? It's the journey, for fuck's sake. Yeah, it's, it's, not, it's a great movie. It doesn't feel like a Sam Raimi film, but there's no reason uh, that's a, a bad thing. The, the only scene that uh, we'll get to when we're going through the plot, but the only scene that I think really feels like a Sam Raimi moment is where Bill Paxton kills Nancy. And she flies up oh, yeah, against the yeah. kitchen wall. That's proper <laughs> Evil Dead. I wrote down like she's been punched by the Hulk. <laughs> Good. Good. Uh, so that's pretty much the backstory. Uh, shall we talk about the plot? Yay! All right, cool. Here we go then. The plot is, it starts with establishing what a fucking nice guy Hank is, played by <laughs> Bill Paxton. Uh, it, it almost goes over the top to tell you how good yeah. it is. Did it's... you notice he drinks milk for dinner? <laughs> I've got it written here. It's got one of my favourite meals ever, this film. Spaghetti bolognese and a glass of milk. <laughs> but it's a very American thing to signify something very wholesome, I yes. think. Mm. If you're a wholesome family, you have milk mm -hmm. with your dinner. Um, but at the start, 
it's like him walking through small town yeah, Minnesota. Like, hey, Hank. Love you, Hank. Yeah, Happy New Year, Hank. It feels like the Gremlins town. <laughs> yeah, right? it does. Yeah. In, in the and everyone helps everyone. Yeah. But that's done as a joke in Gremlins. Here it's played straight. It's <laughs> yeah. like this this guy is just so fucking lovable. And the, it, But the bit which I'm like, ah, that's too much. You've gone over the top is where he passes the kids who are dragging the sledge down the street and he goes, hey guys, what are you doing? And they go, we're going sledging. And he goes, can I come? And you're like, no, they're children. (laughs) They're children, Bill, walk on. You're not allowed to. Walk on. Absolutely not. Um, So then him and his brother, Jacob, played by Billy Bob Thornton, and Jacob's uh, loud, brash friend, Lou, played by Brent Briscoe, uh, they are going to visit the grave of Billy Bob Thornton and... Bill Paxton's mum, and then they're driving, and then a fox runs out. They crash their truck. They go, let's go get that fox, and run into the woods. Lou throws a snowball, discover a plate. It's full of cash. Thus, the movie starts. Pretty much, find cash after chasing fox. Murder, murder, murder. (laughs) That's the plot. (laughs) Murder, murder, betray your friend. Murder, murder, murder. <laughs> be very unsure. Be super stressed. Although not so stressed that Bill Paxton at one point falls asleep with a razor at his throat when he's getting his hair cut. So he's pretty chilled out about the whole thing. It's brilliant. Yeah. I mean, I really enjoyed it. So had either of you read the book? No. No. So I'd read the book before I actually saw this the first time. What? Yeah. It's one of the few books that I read as a teenager. Like there were about three. And the book is... You read three books? Were you Probably. <laughs> how, how come? Did, did you read it because you knew the film was coming? Or you no, were... I think I found it in a charity shop or something. Wow, and the cover really was really good. Um, he's only written... I think he's only written two books. Yeah, The Ruin, The Ruins was another book he wrote that was turned into a movie. And I don't think he's done much more. I what Have you seen The Ruins? I haven't. It's actually... It's right. yeah, I've heard It's that. not that bad. Yeah, yeah. It did nothing. It's just a really normal kind of horror movie but these kids get trapped on these ruins and I think there's some natives in the jungle who won't let them off the ruins it's like an Aztec pyramid and then there's some killer plants I think on the ruins ideal Ideal. is it four hours long yeah yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, and what was the book like really good a lot darker than this Um, wow so if we go through the plot a bit more like obviously I mean pretty much the plot is them like scheming and deceiving and trying to work out they they plan to keep the money for six months and then if no one like turns up looking for it uh, then they're going to divide it between the three of them and bill paxton keeps it and jacob his brother just wants the money because he wants to build his farm big difference with the book is in the movie it's never established that jacob has any farming skill and it's just sort of this pipe dream that bill paxton keeps going billy bob thought and you don't know what you're doing you can't can't just rebuild a farm in the book after Hank kills Jacob because he doesn't think he can cope with police questioning mm-hmm. of his own volition, mm-hmm. Hank kills his brother in the book because he goes, he's crying when they're setting up the Lou crime scene to make it look like they had an argument. And he just go, and like Billy Bob Thornton's in the book, Jacob is going, I can't deal with this, I can't deal with this. And Hank just goes, <laughs> and offs him. Whereas in the movie, obviously, yeah. he's like, please kill me, please kill me, I yeah. can't deal with this. But then after he kills him in the book, he finds a book that Jacob had hidden in a chest about how to run an actual farm. And he realises that his brother actually was learning how to become a farmer Mm. after he'd murdered him. Oh, my God. (laughs) Yeah, the book's fucked up. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, no. It's a really, really dark book. And Sarah, Bridget Fonda's character, has a much bigger role in the book and is even more Machiavellian than Mm -hmm. she is here. Sounds like they should have done the four-hour version. (laughs) (laughs) That's Yeah, he's right. Shit. (laughs) 
So we know how much they've fined in this film, don't we? Four point four. Four point four million dollars. So let's let's just let's just throw it out there. If we found four point four million dollars between us, let's ask yeah. ourselves that question. Mm-hmm. What would we do? What would you do, Chris? I'd kill you both and fly to Rio. <laughs> cool. That's the correct answer, Victoria. I would uh, kill you both and fly to Albania. Oh, interesting. Because I could like buy Albania. Yeah, yeah. So, interesting. Yeah. I'd probably give it to charity. <laughs> would but but there's there's deeper questions that these films ask. Like, would you tra- trade your friends and family for millions? Oh, that's a long silence. That means he would. <laughs> you didn't say anything. <laughs> you were asking him. It was to ask the. Me, it was. It was to no. the floor. <laughs> Oh um, yeah, 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 yeah. No, I mean, no, I mean, no. no, no would no, no, you, no, no, would no, no, you, no, no, no. would you take a knife to the chest for millions? Um, would it, and it wouldn't kill me. No, it wouldn't kill you. Yes. Uh, yeah. Wow, you both would. Yeah, it's fine. That's only hurting ourselves. Mm-hmm. I'm yeah, assuming, exactly. Yeah. Do yeah. I still have the use of like the, the side of my body that the knife went in? I mean, you, is there yeah. Any... Are you going to recover completely? Yeah. Is yeah, there any fine. ligament damage? <laughs> I mean, I really have thought about this. This is what I spent a long I time. I think you doing. have some breathing issues for the rest of your life. Yes, that's fine. Nothing an inhaler couldn't fix. Okay. Um, So, I guess the other big question that it asks, which the plot, the whole thing is thrown into motion by this um, analogy of the plane being like a hen house and them being the foxes, that whole thing. Um, The fox runs across the path and they decide, well, I think it's Lou and Jacob decide to go after the fox to seek revenge on the fox. They very much have your mentality with regard to mammals, don't they? This is so invented, but (laughs) let's go with it, yeah. I honestly think I was watching this. I was thinking because you have a car, don't you? I have a car. <laughs> yeah. No, I was. I sort of imagined that if you poked your head out of the curtains at night and you saw a fox siphoning off petrol <laughs> from your car, you would go out and strangle it because it's expensive. Yeah, right. not strangling a fox is not expensive. That's free, um, but petrol is not free. Yeah, absolutely. All the best things in life are free. Eh? <laughs> I mean, I think it's established that Lou and Jacob are more like anything for a laugh rather than bloodthirsty fox hunters, no? (laughs) But I don't, yeah, I guess so. I mean, they do. They like writing their name in the ground with urine. Uh Uh-huh. Well, a a graveyard also, which is... Have you ever done that? Can I ask? Because I've never, I've never no. experienced that. Ask me. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no. Can you? How, how, uh, how do you aim? If you've got the pelvic floor control, sure. Cool. Mm-hmm. Cool. Well, it's gone in a new direction. <laughs> pelvic floor control. So you don't know what that is? I do not. Do no. you really not? I'd love to, though. I will uh, tell you later. Okay. Is it sure. ping pong balls? It, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I know what that is. <laughs> She doesn't call it that when she comes around to your house to do that because it's not very sexy, but that's what it is. Um, so, yeah, um, so the plot goes on and um, uh, on and on. I mean, I don't really know what more to say about the plot other than towards the end, after they've sort of like argued between themselves, Lou is desperate to pay off some gambling debts. Um, so he's like, I want the money now. And Bill Paxton is like, no, we're going to keep here. And then Jacob's like caught in the middle of... These two guys, like his brother, who he loves, and Lou, his best friend, and he doesn't know whose side to take. And the whole movie kind of revolves around this, the moral quandary that Jacob, played by Billy Bob Thornton, is in. And, like, you know, he is kind of the film's moral compass, despite being kind of the stupidest of the three. Well, in which case, we should talk about our favourite scene, because if I can go first, um, that scene in the middle where Bridget Fonda has convinced Bill Paxton to recruit Billy Bob Thornton into tricking Lou into the false confession. Mm. So you're at like the midway point of the film. 
And that scene just blows my mind like every single time I watch it like the acting the writing the pacing of it it is a fucking masterclass it's incredible so you don't think he's gonna do it he starts a row with his brother and it's like the bait and switch and then you realize he is tricking his friend and it's awful and everything kicks off like escalates from that point because it then turns to murder Um, and I just think it's a fantastic scene and my only problem with it is it sort of gives a lie to the idea that Billy Bob Thornton is such a sad case because they really lay on thick. He's like, I've never kissed a girl and the girl I kissed, she was paid to do it and all the rest of it. Mm. But a man capable of that much, I'm not being um, arch, I'm being like, a man capable of that sort of deceit and sleight of hand is on the same axis as charm. And so I don't believe that he would have been so hopeless in his life if he's capable of doing that to his friend. You see, isn't that interesting? Because what I love about Billy Bob Thornton's character in this is because... He is a character as opposed to a caricature, which he could quite easily have been. And I think is more so in the book. Like you don't know quite how clever yeah. he actually is at any point during this movie. Yeah. Like there's moments where you think, God, he's simple. He's like Forrest Gump level stupid. And there are other moments where you're like, actually, I think he knows exactly what's going on here yeah. and is playing them off each other. Yeah. That whole switcheroo scene at mm. Lou's is phenomenal and is also my favorite scene. What's your favourite scene, Chris? Uh, I had that scene as well, uh, but I'm going to pick a different one now because we didn't talk about the ending of the film, and I think we should. Um, so just in the fact that there's sort of the ironic ending of Shallow Grave where you think she's got away with the money, but it turns out some of the floorboards in this one, although it's all gone horribly badly wrong, they've got away with the money, but it turns out that the FBI has recorded a quarter of the serial numbers. They can never spend the money, and so it was all for naught, and they burn the money. So it's a perfect ending yeah and um i didn't find out more about this but i did find a quote from scott smith the 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 writer who said i i wrote an i never wrote an upbeat ending but apparently one was added at some point i guess sam raimi was asked to shoot one thankfully it's back to normal now so there was a shitty ending to this film somewhere out there wow but they made the right decision at the end i mean did they like i don't think they should have burnt the money there's a moment where they're burning the money and Bridget Fonda goes, says to Bill Paxton, she goes, we could go to South America. Yes, go to South America. <laughs> like literally find a non-extradition treaty country yeah. and take your 4.4, well, they gave four back, $4 million and live out your lives in bliss in a non-extradition Latin American country. Correct. Right? Yes. <laughs> and he's like, no, nah, no, nah, I'm burning it now. Start it's off, finish. Like, what an idiot. <laughs> And I guess it's the it's the it's the atmosphere and the looks between the two of them. You just know what a grim life they've got ahead of them, and that they're going to get divorced soon, and that kid's probably going to be miserable. Like their lives are ruined by what's happened in that that yeah, previous but couple then of weeks. She's a librarian. I think that's an all right job. I wrote like, that down. Yeah. I was like, libraries are so peaceful. Yeah, it's a nice job. I would take that job in a shot. I have a question for you, uh, Vicky, because there's a line in it. Can I just say, yeah. well, every time either one of you say, "I've got a question for you, Vicky," mm-hmm. it makes me really nervous <laughs> but i'm interested i'm to gonna hear do it. it more then <laughs> this is great go on uh, so vicky the question i have for you yeah um there's a moment in it where they're talking about if this is about breastfeeding i'm gonna punch you in the face but go on make it so shall we move, shall we move on to most valuable uh <laughs> most valuable character there no it's about the fact that um where they're discussing uh whether uh, Bill Paxton should uh, trick the FBI or yes. like how much the FBI know about what's going on. Yeah, and brilliant. she's like, she's like, shut up. No, da, 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 da. this is this. You do this. That's that. Yes. And he goes, oh, well, congratulations, Sarah. I guess you know more than the FBI. <laughs> 
right. with your passion for true crime, yeah. has anyone ever said to you, <laughs> well, congratulations, Vicky. I guess you know more than the FBI. Oh, my God. I'm so glad you've asked me. How I am about to... So um, I haven't learned anything from this one, but I'm about to teach you something because, because of the FBI. Are you ready? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So when they kill Lou and Nancy... Bill Paxson phones it in. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Come quickly. Come quickly. I think they're dead. Yeah. Mm. And I am obsessed, obsessed with people whose job it is to analyse 911-999 calls of people saying, I've just come across this thing. And it's clearly that. And they're on trial for it. Right. Because they clearly fucking did it or whatever. And it's not a perfect science. But bear this in mind, if you're ever in this situation, people that haven't done it find it very difficult to accept that someone might be dead. So if you're phoning the call in, it's very unusual to say, I think they're dead. You would say they've been shot. They're hurt. Come quickly. You don't say they're dead. Because how do you... Human beings find it really difficult to just, just, you know, you're not a doctor. It's an overwhelming scene. And it's really hard to admit that someone's dead. And it's even harder if it's kids, which is very dark, but it's useful. Um, so anytime someone phones it in and they're like, I think they're dead. That means they're guilty. That means they did it. Pretty much. Yeah. Wow. So yeah. So she does know more than the FBI. <laughs> Congratulations. The same. the same. The same as the FBI, I don't think. Yeah. Um, there is a, in the book, because obviously at the end, they burn the money in the film. Um, in the book, they he finds out that the money's marked. But at that point, because Sarah thinks they're in the clear, she's already spent uh, one of the bills at a liquor oh, store. Right. And he goes, I've got to go get that bill back yeah. because it could be one of the marked ones. <laughs> so he goes to the liquor store with the intent of robbing it. But there's people there and he ends up killing the female store clerk and really? a female customer as well. Feels like Bloody hell, much. Hank. Yeah, feels like too much. Okay. Well, I mean... It's good. I mean, he's a very good writer. I don't know what I'm talking about. Um, who was your most valuable character, in which case? I'm going to suggest something now. Do we change the name of this category? Because you picked a character in the last round. I picked a director. You picked a pair of glasses. Mm. Sorry. <laughs> so how about, how about we, call I'm so it, funny. we call it MVW, most valuable whatever. <laughs> and then anything goes. It doesn't annoy me that I pick it. If it bothers you so much. I'm bothered with myself when they, we were saying character and I picked a director. Really? <laughs> Most valuable, whatever. Um, I'm going to pick uh, Jacob as played by Billy Bob Thornton for yeah. the reasons you've said, but I love the fact he starts out this liability and then he becomes this tragic character. I was really moved by some of his speeches he gives about, about that girl that he went out on the date with, about their dad. Uh, when oh, he starts... God, that's so good. Yeah. When he says to Bill Paxton about their dad killing himself, and he yeah. says it so naturally and... And he's being compassionate, but he thinks he's talking to someone who has understanding. And the look that Bill Paxton gives him, like, what are you talking about? And then he's the person, he has control of that scene to be like, you didn't even know. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. God. I have a question, though. So, obviously, Bill Paxton thinks it was a car crash that killed his mum and dad. And Billy Bob Thornton... Just his dad, I think. No. No, it's it his mum as well. I thought, well, this is my question. Maybe I've got confused, but I was querying whether the mum was in on the suicide pact or whether she was just like he was like Ugh. I'll give you a lift to the supermarket oh wait I'm killing what? us yep. murder suicide right. no I thought it was just the dad okay okay that makes sense then. but yeah Jacob who's your most valuable whatever whatever uh, yeah I'm, I, Billy Bob Thornton I was watching an interview with him talking about this movie and he says that um, he says it's one of the best screenplays he's ever read uh, which I'd agree mm-hmm. uh, and also he says that he thinks um, Alfred Hitchcock would have loved this movie. Mm, that's fair enough. 100%. I don't know whether he just walked out of the birds and gone. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> Alfred loved crows. He likes birds. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, I just think he's um, he's fantastic in it. I mean, especially... So going for his wig. <laughs> it is a wig, isn't it? I don't know. I wrote actually. that at the start because so, yeah. I think I it know. is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I wish there'd been more Bridget Fonda in it. The character Sarah in mm. the book is much uh, 
more expanded, and I think she's great in it. I like the bit where they're cleaning up, uh, clearing up. You get a really idea of their lives where they're clearing up the spaghetti bolognese, mm. and Bill Paxton pours the rest of it from the pan into some Tupperware. Yes, which is what you do. But then, and I don't know whether it was like him improving, and it's like that was weird. <laughs> but he then holds the Tupperware at counter level and brushes crumbs from the counter <laughs> into the Tupperware, and then seals it. And I'm like. You need the fucking yeah, money. That is so desperate. It's so dark. But yeah, Billy Bob Thornton, he's just so good in it. He got an Oscar nomination as well yeah. for his performance. Well, mine is Bridget Fonda. Um, I love the fact that she's like, well, sure, I don't know, honey. You know, you're stealing, stealing, kill them. I think it's so good. She's like, Mrs. fucking Apple Pie. And then she's like, you could just kill them. Yeah, I mean, and, th- and that's when you start thinking, is she going to be like a Lady Macbeth? style character in this story is she more like that in the book yes right yeah okay because i feel like then they pull back on it a little bit they in do. the movie yeah they do it's a weird one so this is like i said one of the few um movies that i've watched after reading the book first and i didn't enjoy the film as much because i'd read the book which begs the interesting question if you truly are a lover of film should you read books well you've obviously chosen not to <laughs> right so <laughs> But honestly, like the only Harry Potter movie I've ever seen that I read the book of is The Prisoner of Azkaban, which everyone says is their best favourite Harry Potter movie. And I think it's the worst because I'd read the book and it's the only one I'd read. And I keep watching it going, I missed out that bit, missed out that bit, missed out that bit. So I think out loud in the cinema. (laughs) (laughs) What I'm saying is we should all stop reading books. Yeah, okay. I'm I'm not getting on board with that. They're no good to anyone. (laughs) Uh, What would you change if you could, Alex? Uh, Probably I'd have... um, Bill Paxton in the height of an argument, like towards the end, not still be such a good guy that when he's arguing with Sarah and he goes, you don't know what you're talking about. That's BS right there. (laughs) I'm like, come on. You've killed like 15 people. It's like you can say bullshit. (laughs) Like we've reached that point in the movie. (laughs) You're not the guy who wants to sledge with some kids anymore. You can say bullshit. It reminded me of the Fast Show sketch. You remember the Fast Show sketch where... They, it was the mafia guys, but they'd been dubbed, so they replaced fuck with fun. And it's like, <laughs> you fun my wife? Did you fun my wife? Fun you! I was like, that's what I thought of at that moment. I haven't got much for what I'd change. Um, that's because it's so fucking good. Mm, I, I don't know. Maybe between Lou dying and the, and the FBI agent showing up, I feel like the film sort of dies <laughs> a little bit for about 15 minutes. I might tighten up that section, but I haven't got much, so... Well, mine's a very so you're going to be bored because uh, it's a very writery thing. But you need to, you, it's a, it's work to do. But collapse the character of Lou into the character of Bridget Fonda if possible. So Billy Bob Thornton is best friends with his brother, or so he thinks. And the push and pull is about her and him making her choose sides between her, her his brother and her, basically. Because all she's doing, she's the puppet master of the sort of orchestrating this thing between Lou. But actually, you don't really need Lou. You need Lou as a character. He needs to get killed and all the rest of it. But as the the third part of this trio of awfulness, she can pl- she can fulfil that role just as effectively. So just to collapse a few uh, character arcs there. Mm. I think Lou, uh, the guy, Brent Briscoe, who plays Lou, sadly passed away now, uh, but he's fucking great in this he's as really well. Good, yeah. He's really good. And he also has some of the best lines in The Dark Knight Rises because I was like, oh, man, I know I've seen something. Because I watched The Dark Knight Rises over Christmas. I'm like, I know I've seen you in something. And he's the cop in it who gets the line, Boy, are you in for a show tonight, son? When the uh, bat pod goes past in the underpass. Okay. Yep. Cool. All right. Well, I thought it was great. Yeah, it is. And uh, do you feel like you learned anything? Don't take revenge on foxes. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, fuck foxes. Uh, <laughs> no, the opposite. 
The opposite of foxes. Fucking foxes. Love foxes. Love foxes. Look after foxes. Fucking foxes is loving them. Yeah. Your honour. <laughs> Naughty. Um, I learned. Well, it just confirms what I know to be true already, which is eyebrows are everything. <laughs> See Billy Bob Thornton. You give a man massive eyebrows, suddenly he is not hot anymore. Fact. Do you find Billy Bob Thornton hot? Yes, I okay. do. We've established that previous on a previous episode. Have we? Yeah. yeah, it came up on Armageddon. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. I like the fact that um, the crow attack scene in the back of the plane. It's just. It's just the way it was written on Wikipedia. It goes. Puppet crows were used to attack a real Bill Paxton, while real crows were used to attack an animatronic Bill Paxton. <laughs> That's nice. An animatronic Bill Paxton? <laughs> yeah. What are you talking about? Yeah. Huge so, budget they must have had. Yeah, it's not an animatronic Bill Paxton. <laughs> That's what they room. called it. They didn't call it a puppet Bill Paxton. They didn't call it a pillowcase with a jacket on. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they should have used it in another scene, like just like replace the real Bill Paxton with an animatronic one, get their money's worth. Hey, Bill. <laughs> oh, I've just remembered he's dead. Yeah. R.I.P. Bill Paxton. I completely forgot. R.I.P. Bill Paxton. Yeah. I met him at the re-release of, um, obviously, because I, you know, I was a kid when I watched Aliens and yeah. like he was forever cemented in my mind after Aliens. Um was he um, as nice as everyone says? Yeah, he's lovely. Yeah, yeah he, I met him on the red carpet for um, the Titanic re-release, and he was mm. absolutely lovely. You know, one of those. Aww. I'm glad I met him. Yeah, uh, yeah. So, um, yeah, I think that's pretty much all I've got for this. Yeah. Now, listen, because I've, I've forgotten how we do it, do we want to do the verdict now, or do you want to do double quiz? Because I've got quiz. a quiz, you've du- got a quiz. Double quiz. Double Mine's quiz, super double quick. Quiz, double quiz. Double quiz. Mine's you quite must long. be keen for a double quiz, surely, Chris. Whatever you want. Oh, that's a no. Okay, interesting. Um, Lady Vicky. <laughs> uh, no, that's not. I'm not happy about not that. Is that actually a thing? Did you call? No, okay. no. I like it. But... I saw it on the. I saw it on the WhatsApp group, yeah. and I, I was like, I was like, that's not becoming a thing. It has becoming... my full approval. But I Lady V, I think you were called. It. It's awful. La- uh, Lady Victoria. Oh no, Lady V. Mm-hmm. Lady V. I like it. Um, so my quiz is so with a simple plan and shallow grave. What we're really talking about is treasure. So I'm going to read you the names of some treasures from some films. You just got to tell me the film. Are you ready? Yeah. This is your sort of thing. I did this for you two. Like, this is the kind of quiz I hate, but I think you should like it. Are you ready? Okay. The El Corazon Emerald. Name the film. Romancing the Stone? Yes, correct. (sighs) Well done. Uh, Old Willie's Fortune. Oh, my goodness. Correct. Um, The Holy Grail. Indiana Jones. Python. (laughs) Oh shit! <laughs> <laughs> Did you think of that? <laughs> yes. That's what I mean. A gold medallion and a direct descendant of Bill Bootstrap Turner. Uh, of the Caribbean. Correct. <sighs> and the last one is the sunken Spanish galleon, the Aurelia. Oh, um, uh, uh, oh, the Matthew McConaughey movie with the Kate Hudson. Gold uh, Rush. Uh, no. The fool's gold. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I wasn't counting. Let's call I got it a one draw. more. I got one more. <laughs> no, you didn't. That was a draw. That was a I I've, I've no idea. Uh, good, good try. Alex. Well, no, it was a draw. Uh, so uh, my quiz is called an unsimple plan. Cool. Uh, it is uh, one-star reviews from films that feature far more complicated plans to steal money okay. than in a simple plan. So here's a one-star review from a, a movie. It doesn't have to be money, by the way. It's stealing things. Okay. Stealing things from movies. Here's the here's the first one. Uh, one-star reviews. 
Academy Awards for its special effects, sound and cinematography, or to put it another way, it looks good and sounds great. Shame about the incomprehensible storyline, which is not a line, but a circle that morphs into a triangular pentangle. It's not even a story, it's a dream within a drug... Inception. Yes. That's one for Chris. Next Yeah, do do keep a score. Uh... Well-made film with some big names, but the plot is far too complicated to understand. Watched it three times and I still get lost. I recommend Mr. Nice, Ghostbusters or Four Weddings instead. Take a load of actors, then get a rubbish script, a rubbish director, a rubbish soundtrack, make it all boring, stupid and cliched. <laughs> get Brad, I can't act, Pitt, eating food in every Ocean's scene. 11. Yeah. <laughs> That's a point for me. Julia, not pretty woman Roberts in yet another stupid role. They go on. <laughs> Next Julia one. You're not wow. pretty. Woman. <laughs> yeah. She's gorgeous. Uh, so, this is your next one about not a movie with an unsimple plan to steal things. Epitomizing an era of British cool that never really existed, this film has a great, though undeserved, reputation. Take away the best things about it, which are probably the opening titles, the, scene, the scenery and the car chase at the end, and what you're left with is a dated <gasps> that op- Italian job. Yes. Oh. Okay. Still time to get back into this, V. There's three more. Mm hmm. Absolute nonsense and one of the worst films I've seen for a while. It reminded me of a trashy Michael Bay movie in the sense that it's just two and a half hours of guns and explosions with zero character development and story. It really hasn't aged well. It's just like watching someone play Grand Theft Auto. The director completely wastes the talents of his leads. The scene with them together in the restaurant is a rip-off of the scene where Bruce Willis confronts Alan Rickman in Die Hard. For me, this is one of the most overrated films of the 90s. National Treasure? Scene with them together in the restaurant. Oh, Pulp Fiction. No. Mission Impossible. No, what's her famous two massive leads in the same right movie in a restaurant? The answer we were looking Good for was <laughs> close, Heat. Okay. Oh, yeah. Uh, didn't like the film at all. Got bored about 15 minutes after the start when all I experienced was a bunch of nasty-looking blokes squabbling, then someone <laughs> being shot, being hoisted into an empty warehouse. Lock, and a, stock, and two talking about A lot of effing this and effing that. Is this entertainment? I'd rather clean toilets for fun. Might watch Pride and Prejudice next. Come on, this starts with a group of blokes squabbling. Reservoir oh, dogs. Reservoir Dogs. Yes. Uh... Not very enjoyable. Couldn't care less about what happened in the end. Of all the people watching it at the start, I was the only one to stick with it to the end. Pleasing twist, though, so I'm glad I did. Usual suspect. Yes. (laughs) And final one for the moment. Uh, Vicky, if you get this, you've still lost. (laughs) (laughs) Tries to be too clever without the brains to pull it off convincingly. Supposedly screenwritten by Rebecca Blunt, whoever that is, if she even exists. (laughs) The writing does no justice at all to some fine actors like Daniel Craig and Channing Tatum who do their best. However, Logan Logan Lucky. Lucky. (laughs) However, Adam Driver is more fitting for a dull film with his dull drone that he calls acting. One to miss. (laughs) (laughs) If she even exists, that's the best bit. Poor Way to to silence women. Poor (laughs) Blunty. No, the thing is, uh, in fairness to this uh, one-star reviewer, Rebecca Blunt, people think, is a pseudonym that... uh, Soderbergh. Soderbergh or Soderbergh's wife used, so it didn't look like he was making his wife's script. All right, then. Oh, sorry. Sorry. Um, let's do the, the Oh, first. sorry. Congratulations, Chris. You won. <laughs> yeah. that's, what he's, that's why he's gone quiet. That's what he was waiting for. Is he basking? <laughs> um, shall we do the verdict? So, of these two films, A Simple Plan and Shallow Grave, Alex, which do you think does it better? 
In terms of quality, I would say they are level pegging. So I'm going to dip into another part of my brain for why I've picked my winner, and that is escapism. I enjoyed being transported to a snow-covered Minnesota uh, more than I did to Edinburgh slash Glasgow. And I love movies set in small-town America, so I'm going with a simple plan. I like the way that Shallow Grave doesn't feel like a first-time movie. Um, it looks so amazing. Uh, the interesting thing is over the camera, the stuff through the streets, inside the cash point, inside the water tank. Love Danny Boyle, but with a simple plan, I think the acting is on a whole different level to uh, Shallow Grave in terms of what Billy Bob Thornton and Paxson were doing at that stage in their career versus the guys in uh, Shallow Grave. Um but because of the careers it launched and due to what it meant to me in the British film industry at the time, I am going for Shallow Grave. Oh, Okay, well, I mean, if you hadn't ruined it earlier, I'd say... <laughs> <laughs> one of my top ten films of all time. Yeah, I don't know if I've mentioned this, but The Simple Plan is actually one of my top ten films of all time. Um, but purely because I find it a more stressful viewing experience because I do genuinely care about what happens to them. And it's, it's, it's so tense all the way through. Um, and I think if if you are a writer, the script for a simple plan has got to be something that you, in your wildest dreams, would think that you could do. It's incredible. So it has to be a simple plan. That means a simple plan is the winner this week, huh? How do we feel about that, Chris? Great choice. Yeah. Good. I mean, one left well, me reeling, one left me euphoric, and the one that left me reeling is a good yeah, a yeah. choice, is any. I think you put it best, uh, Victoria, when you said stressful. I think I texted you halfway through going... Uh, this is stressful. It is really. Re- but like really stressful. Mm-hmm. Like a simple plan is like the bit with the, where the fake FBI agent turns up at the end. I was I've like, said to you before, I watch it when I'm hungover because I want to get rid of that feeling of anxiety. So I need to watch people in a worse situation than I am. <laughs> that's a bloody awful idea. <laughs> that doesn't make any that's sense. It, work, it honestly works. You're like, at least it's well, you're not drinking that, that weird drink. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hitting the blue WKD. Well, no, what is it you have for hangovers? Oh, Diet Coke. It's not that Diet weird. Diet Coke, that's not weird. Wasn't it with something else that was weird? Brandy. No. <laughs> no. It's fine. Look, Chris, you got your brandy and your Ellen Partridge. Vicky's got a blue WKD. I drank brandy once. It's <laughs> <laughs> right. No one's judging you. Everyone's judging you. So uh, that is it. It's my choices next week. It is, Alex. A big congratulations to Simple Plan, though. Uh, and well done, V. Uh, those were some great movies. Mm. And I know I was a bit lukewarm on your suggestions for this particular episode, but I... Take my hat off to you. Fucking great. So my choices for next episode are thus. I am giving you, Chris, the nice guys. The nice guys. And Victoria, I'm giving you, kiss, kiss, bang, bang. Brilliant. Yeah? Yeah. You, If you want to swap, you can swap. No, yeah. I don't want to swap. You want that one? Yeah. Great, 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 great. Okay, so those are your movies for next week's show. Uh, thank you very much for listening to this week's show. If you'd like to get in touch with us, we are at ClashPod on Twitter or it's show at ClashPod.com on email. Uh, do get in touch and also please subscribe to us on Spotify, Apple, wherever you get your podcasts. And, uh, you know, we're here. You want to talk? Just, you know, hang out, say hi. All right, we'll see you in a week. Bye for now. This was a Stakhanov production.